When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 49 of the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the Lextown, Josh Hopkins. What up, Josh? What's happening, Rex Everett Chapman? How you been this week? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm good. I like your shirt. Like your shirt. (laughs) Wildcats. Wildcats. Still in Austin, I see. Yeah. 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 And you are in Brooklyn. I'm in Brooklyn. It's like a nice day. It is a nice mm-hmm. day, uh, a little muggy, a little muggy. How about the temp there in uh, Texas? It's been triple digits for like 46 or seven days in a row. So, oh. been, yeah, been pretty. I'm pumped, I'm like pumped about our guest. Hey, by the way, have you read anything this week? Uh, oh, we got a uh, new book club. Uh, uh, actually, I, I read it's not a book or whatever. It was a short, it was something short, but at least I read it was like these people, they were like, selling insurance and they had this one girl who's hilarious her name's Flo and she like she just played different characters and no. it was real con- real no does that, anybody no. read it no I think you're 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 talking about a tv show again and then eat my grits smell my grits whatever it was no, no, Flo's no, dying no, no that's a tv this show was, this was they were they were selling insurance and she was like playing all these characters. She, she oh no, 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 no. That's that. No, that's a uh, that's an insurance commercial. Oh, but I think yeah. I did read that she's book. A, she's an actress. Uh, I think I did read that. <laughs> that's book a TV Diner show too. No. I was like, dingy, get over here, dingy. <laughs> that was a good book. You know, I'm gonna have to revisit that. Oh well, read I didn't. Uh, I. I started to because uh, there's this great book that's on uh, it's on Netflix. I started watching it and uh, watched the first couple episodes, and uh, I really got into it. Book? So it, it's called Blackbird. It's a, no, it's on Apple TV Plus. Uh, it's called Blackbird. Five, five I mean, six episodes. Why are you reading it? That aren't isn't oh, it just? Oh some... yeah, yeah. No, I haven't read yeah. anything. That was a TV yeah. show. You're right. Uh, well, me either. That's been book club. Uh, what episode is this, Rex? Uh, this is episode 49. And I don't know of any. I mean, so many I, great I, times. there aren't. There's, are there? There's, there's the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. Well, they're very mm-hmm. good. So, very good. The only other, the only one I know. Gold Rush. Um, <laughs> uh, Tim Wakefield was the only one, some that the, the knuckleballer. Tim Wakefield, right. Ron Guidry. Ron Guidry, great. See, I don't know 49s really. If I was trying to memorize something, I'd go again with Kyle Macy. Kyle Macy. Either Jordan in the Olympics or Kyle Macy and Rondo with the Celtics. Ah, oh, nice. That's Dude, how I would remember ball. a combination or code or something, but I wouldn't know if 49 or I wouldn't go, ah, oh, Tim Wakefield and this. Like, no. So, so Josh, if uh... – if the live golf tournament came to you and said, 
I want to give you 700, 800, 900 million dollars to join our golf tour. Would you do that? If you were uh, maybe arguably the greatest player ever. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So. Because know. that's ha that happened to Tiger Woods. Yeah. And he turned it down. Yeah, that's. What you know, that's going to be something eventually that they, because it, right now it's kind of in the talk sphere and people talk, but that'll be something that uh, when he dies, they'll say. Yeah. They'll say, well, you know, he turned this down. This is a major point in the biography of his career. Um, I, and I, really I think you're right. Point. I think you're right. And I think that the the fascinating part, I, I watched an interview that he did the other day and I hadn't really thought about it. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing, Phil, Phil Mickelson decided to join up and he's part of the, of that thing now, but, but Tiger said something was really interesting. And I, I kind of took it back to what we talked about recently with the NIL and guys being so young coming into college and earning money. He said, yeah, okay, so you're going to go and you're going to play on this 54-hole thing. Um, you know, we've based everything on four-day totals forever. He said, I don't – he said, because some of these kids, he said, and they are kids, a couple of them. He said, what's the incentive to be great or become great Wow. once wow. you've – and – Really, that's because, you know, these guys have been they play golf to earn. Right? right. If you've if you've been given all the money and now you, it doesn't matter how you earn what you do in America anymore. Right. Right. What's the incentive to continue to grind away and possibly become the greatest ever and all of that? So I thought that was fascinating. That is that's a that's an interesting angle on a very yeah. complex topic. But. Um, you've got to commend him for for taking. You know, it's it's easier if you already have eight hundred yeah. million dollars. Yeah, very but true. It it, it um, you gotta commend him for standing up. I do, I do. Uh, well, buddy, let's get to our guest. We've got uh, this week episode forty nine. We have former NFL offensive lineman with the Steelers and Jets Super Bowl 43 champ and co-host of Morning Men on Sirius XM Mad Dog Sports Radio. We have Willie Cologne. Hey. Welcome, Willie. Thanks for having me, guys. Love your work. Love everything. Rex, I follow you on Twitter. I think you're absolutely brilliant. Um, <laughs> oh. your, your sporadic and randomness is right up my alley. That is so <laughs> me. So I, I, I love it, man. Fantastic, man. Uh, my first question, it, like Josh and I are just you know, football is a whole different animal. Uh, sure. we, we grew up playing. We played as little kids, you know, peewee, Pop Warner football and everything. What was it like for you the first time you stepped on a football field? How old were you? Did you love it? And did you take right to it? What was that like? Yeah, man. So, so I'm from the South Bronx, New York, man. And I grew up a diehard Giants fan. So Lawrence Taylor was like, God, oh. um, I absolutely loved how – he was just lawless and if and he played like it and he walked like it. And for me, I was always, you know, I'm the middle child. So I'm I was naturally the rebellion out of the, out of my siblings. 
and I didn't like school. Uh, I was not the the kid that stood in line and just was like followed orders. I was always kind of had that rough and tumble type thing about me. And my dad is from uh, San Jose, Puerto Rico. He didn't know not, he didn't know anything about football. He knew basketball and boxing. And so football, he kind of brought me and my brothers along to watch and follow. And so naturally, when you're in New York, you see the Giants or Jets. So we chose the Giants because of Parcells and what they were doing. <clears throat> and LT was everything, man. And I and I and I started as a kid reading the paper at the Daily News, and LT oh, wow. was always on the cover, always on the cover, either from having a monster game or getting locked up. <laughs> and, and so I always was like, man, this dude is out of his mind. Like, and but he was such a game changer. And I just loved everything about him. And so I grew up in, you know, I'm from the Bronx. I grew up hooping. You know, I, I wasn't as good as you, Rex, but I, I was a hooper, man. I believe. And I uh I loved to hoop and I played a little baseball. I grew up in a Spanish neighborhood. So baseball, I was out of my league out of every earth. So my, my mom was like, I'm not wasting that time with that. Uh, so it was really hoops. But when I got to high school, um, I was still hooping. And I actually missed uh, like the, the the freshman orientation or the freshman kind of like training camp. And so when I checked, when I went to school the first day, I literally over the PA, it was like, you know, freshman football squad. Uh, you have, you know, practice today at 3.15. So I ran downstairs, met the coach. His name was Wild Bill Jensen. <laughs> Wild Bill Jensen had these Coke <laughs> bottle glasses like this thick. And he used to have this. is This is wild, though. He used to smoke in the school. He used to have a cig, <laughs> right? And he had these dirty old, he had this dirty old, um, he had this dirty old, like beat up baseball hat and a whistle, two socks. And he was just a gringy old white dude that just like, his, are we allowed to cuss on here? Yeah. Okay. His fuck level was so low. Like he could not, like, <laughs> Rex, when I tell you this man's fuck level was so low, so low, he didn't care if he was black, white, Spanish, whatever. He said what he said and he meant what he said. <laughs> and so I ran up to him and I was like, hey, coach, my name is Willie Clone. Um, you know, I, at first I was like, you know, he's this is, this, is, this is a weird story. So when I ran up, I was like, sir, my name is William Cologne. Um, I, I, I want to come out and try out for the freshman football team. So he's smoking a cigarette. He's like, where the hell you been? He goes, my team is ready to go. Like, you know, we're about to practice. Son. I don't even know who you are. And so he's like, so he's like looking me up and down. And he's going, hold up. What he goes, what's your, what size, what size, what size shoe do you wear? And I'm like, oh, I'm a 14. He's like, how old are you? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm I'm 14. He was like, 14 wearing a 14. He said, all right, well, get your ass out there tomorrow, and uh, we're gonna see what you got. And he drops his cig and he walks away. No bullshit. I run home, go to my mom. I'm like, mom, I'm trying out for the football team. She's like, no, 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 like, ah, no, like, we're not. I'm like, ma, I'm going out for the football team. It's happening. But you got to buy me a sweatsuit. I want a sweatsuit. She sent me to Models. I went to Models. I got a navy blue sweatsuit. Mind you, my my school colors are maroon and gold. So I stuck out (laughs) in a sea of maroon and gold. And I'm the only dude, like, I'm I'm about to sign up for the police academy. Um, And, and, you know, back then, I don't know if they're old old school football, they used to have the freshman JV and varsity all warm up together. Oh, yeah. So imagine the sea of uh, a football player, and I'm the last dude in line with no uniform. And I, I, I actually go through all the drills. I'm doing up downs. I'm doing diamond pushes. We're running laps. We break for water, and I'm I'm just beat to sweat, dirty. And you know, kind of like what they do now in the NFL, it takes three days to get acclimated before you put on your pads. Well, the team already had their pads on. 
and they're kind of going through this tackling drills. And I, I go into tackling drill. I'm, I'm ready to fire off. And I remember our D-line coach, his name was Coach Cooper, grabbed dog collar me like this, grabbed me and ripped me out of line. And I, and I flew back. I was like, what's going on? He's like, you don't have a helmet. You don't have a mouthpiece. We don't even know who you are. What are you doing? And so he's like, you, you need equipment, son. You, you can't. He's like, were you really about to go tackle? In my mind, I was about to fire on his ass. I didn't. I mind you, I didn't know how to form tackle. I didn't know how to do nothing. I just knew the guy. No helmet. No I helmet. Shoot, I was gonna shoot my. I was gonna keep my pistol. And so, fast forward, man. Uh, Wild Bill Jensen, love him to this day. He actually coached me and my brothers and my best friends. Um, and he he came up to me at the end of practice. He goes, "You're a fucking crazy son of a bitch." You know? <laughs> and he's like, I, he's like, I like it. We need guys like you. So fast forward. Four, three or four days later, I get my pads. We ran the triple option. They put me at fullback. So it was just, it, I was, I was about six at the time. I was like six, five, eleven, six feet, 250 pounds, wore a size 14 shoe. Fact, my, could you I, run? I guess you could already run. Yeah, I can move. And, and so he was just like, I'm putting you at fullback. I don't want you to do anything <laughs> but run straight. Anything in front of you, just go over. And sh- sure enough, we had our first little inner team scrimmage and ran a dive. Broke for like 10 yards, mowed through the secondary, and it was history, man. And then I just – it was so crazy about that. I went on to be like team captain, um, played, and was just like my career. Then, I, you know, my career was gone from there. Steph Curry's record-breaking three-pointer, Jason Tatum's buzzer-beating alley-oop, John Morant's poster dunk. NBA Top Shot is where the greatest moments from NBA history are turned into officially licensed digital collectibles. NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards by making it easier to buy, sell, and collect by removing the hassle of grading, shoe boxes, and shipping fees. You can buy or sell moments in a few clicks and access them at any time on your phone or computer. Your collection is always at your fingertips. Start collecting Top Shot moments in any way you want. Collect rookie moments from future stars like Evan Mobley and Kate Cunningham. Collect throwback moments from former NBA stars like Shaq and Allen Iverson or collect moments from your favorite team to gain access to exclusive perks. Grab your starter pack today, and Top Shot will give you $20 back to start your collection and pick up some of your favorite moments in the marketplace. Go to about.nbatopshot.com slash bballnews and get in the game today. You said you didn't like school. Um, I was much the same. Josh was much the same. Um, So you – you make the football team as a freshman. Yep. There, there's, and you said you became captain. There's leadership that has to go into that. Did you yep. take to that? Did you like that part of it? Like being a team leader? I was just, I don't know if I, I don't know if I consciously took to it. I just knew I had always had, you know, growing up in my neighborhood and, you know, it's kind of like probably stories you've all heard. If, if you didn't, if you if you constantly if you always step back, somebody was going to keep stepping forward. You know what I mean? So yeah. I always kind of had that mochismo about me. You know, my dad was a six five Puerto Rican, bald head, gold chains, and never wore pants in the house. He literally <laughs> wore tube socks and white fruit of bloom underwears. And we would have we lived in a two bedroom apartment in the Bronx, and our apartment was always flooded with people. And when I tell you, he was him every day, and he was a no nonsense, in your face, loving. But he always moved forward with everything. So I kind of took on that personality. And so even in sports, I was I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was fearless, but I was always courageous and confident. And so I think that kind of 
kind of exuded. And at times you just learn to be fearless. Uh, you just got to go into battle. Like you don't know who you are until you're put in that moment. And so football kind of, it, it allowed me multiple times to kind of be put in that fire to come out of it. And I think people kind of gravitated towards it. Well, you said, cause your dad didn't know much about football, but he knew a lot about boxing. Did he ever school you to any of the sweet science? Oh man. I, we, we were a big boxing house. I grew up loving Felix Trinidad. Um, that was like one of my favorite fighters of all time. Obviously Mike Tyson, um, grew up a Cotto fan. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you know, Vinny Paz, you know, just like some of the old school guys, Whitaker, Roy, all those guys, like we were, we were just a fan of all of it. And again, my dad, you know, he, his mindset with boxing was like, you know, everybody, it's not, it's kind of what Mike Tyson says. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. But his mindset was always like, you know, the biggest thing about boxing is, you can't disrespect the sport. Like you gotta, you gotta box, right? There's no kind of just going through it or figuring out. Like you know, Rex, if you if you hooping, like you can warm yourself with a game. You know how to kind of, you know how to kind of get yourself. And boxing, when you step in that ring and that, and you this is go. There's no warming yeah. up. Like your warm up happened when you was walking right. into that ring. And so it, it, he was always preaching to us, like learn how to be in the moment. Because if you're not, the moment's gonna be gone. Either you're gonna get knocked out, right? So always arise to the occasion. So. That was kind of his mantra to us. Like you, like when that bell rings, be ready to go. Whether you like it or not, figure it out fast that you got to go. And that's what boxing presents. You, there's so many times you watch guys go to the ring, you know, either they're dancing or whatever, national anthem, they hold the belts, whatever. When that ring clears and it's just you and another man, all the bullshit is over, right? You gotta, you gotta get, you gotta get, you gotta get locked in. So I think that was him kind of just preaching to us in a, in a very vague way on a roundabout way, like, you know, just be ready, like, you know, prepare, be ready, be ready to go. Cause you never know when your opportunity or when that time you're in a conversation, you know, you got to go whether you like it or not. And that's, that's what kind of boxing is. Uh, he told us for me and my brothers. I just can't imagine you. I mean, with your athletic ability, yeah. your size, your feet. I mean, yeah. I contend that if it weren't for football, which we all love, thank God for football, but uh, heavyweight boxing, we would just, there would not, you wouldn't hear of these other guys. We would have so many great boxers. I also contend we would be way better at men's soccer if we didn't have, <laughs> you think of guys like a Barry Sanders, yeah. out, you know, if he, or just any of these slot receivers. I mean, football, it's our main sport, but we could be real good at those two things if it weren't for it. Well, yeah, because I think a lot, a lot of times with, and I've, growing accustomed to, you know, I, listen, you play offensive line, you know, a lot of other big men around the world. It just happens. You kind of, we all gravitate each other. Right. Yeah. Um, and what it is, a lot of guys, I try to tell people it's, it's weird because so one of my teammates, Max Starks, who's six, eight, 300 and like 80 pounds. He's just a mammoth of a man, but is a real gentle soul. And when we played on the field together, I would always be really enraged with him because I always felt like, man, if this dude ever <laughs> snapped, he would kill everybody, but he just didn't have that kill switch. Mm -hmm. Me, on the other hand, like I told him one day in the huddle, I was like, if I had your size with my temperament, I would be a terrorist. I wouldn't even worried about trying to play a sport. I was trying to own a country, right? Because I would just, <laughs> I would just feel that fucking dominant, right? I was six eight three eighty with my temperament. I would try to own like an island somewhere, and I would like breed an <laughs> army of willies to take over the world, right? And so he would laugh, right? And I would get mad because he would go against guys like James Harrison, who's an absolute, you know, he's a raging pit bull. And James would bring his 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 shit with him. And Max was always trying to like, you know, just work technique. And I'm just like, dog his ass. 
He doesn't respect <laughs> the craft. So dog his ass. And, and then I come to realize, man, a lot of big guys aren't built like that. And I realized because I get to talk to Max and knowing him, he, he's actually the godfather of my son. You know, when Max was 14 years old, he was 6'6". Six, six. He was 6'6", six, six, 320 pounds. Wow. What, what, what kid yeah. in that school was messing with that kid? You know what I mean? Yeah. So all his life, and on top of that, even before he was 14, being a big kid for his whole life, so many people have been telling him, like, easy, big fella, not too much. You're going to hurt yeah. him. So it, yeah. just, it brings this, it suppresses his natural, his, his, this kind of this line inside him. And so when you get to the NFL, Valet, he, he played hard and he, he was a good dude. But I think it was always hard for him to hit that engine because his whole life it was yeah. been suppressed. Like, you're too big, you're going to hurt somebody. Or oh, you don't want to do this because you're going to hurt somebody. When, for me, it was like, my dad was like, fuck that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I re- I'd rather you, like, Coach Tommy used to have a great saying, and I kind of, and I, and I really brought into it. He said, I'd rather you be the, I'd rather you be the hammer than the nail. Right. I'd rather you be the guy to hit first and we'll figure all the shit out later. Yeah. And then we got to get you therapy. We'll just whatever. But I, I'd rather you I'd rather you rather be on attack than just get beat up. So I'd rather I you apologize. Be- I'd rather apologize yeah. than ask for yeah. permission. <laughs> and so I, I realized that not every big guy is, is a dominant alpha and not every guy who looks apart is built for to be a boxer or whatever. It's just it, it, you got to respect the individual for who they are and the size in which they can play in. No, just to walk in to Cardinal Hayes. I mean, that's a real high school. Uh, friend of the show, Jamal Mashburn. Jamal Mashburn. George yeah. Carlin. Uh, George uh, Carlin. Carlin. How about that? Uh, Mark Scorsese. Mark Scorsese. Regis. Regis, yeah. Regis, yeah. Regis Philbin. Robert Cavanaugh. Yeah. Yeah, and then before we get to it, but I saw at Hofstra, there was James Kahn, Chris Walken, Francis yep. Ford Coppola. Like, you, you went with some artists went to school, but you don't just, you know, decide to come in as a freshman unless you're real. That is a big, good school. Uh, how quickly till you just ascended to like, oh, I'm I'm going to be a pro? Oh, shit. Never. That wasn't even a thought. I mean, you got to understand one thing about uh, my high school years was interesting and, I, and I'm and I'm proud of it. But also I try to teach people what the what the game does for you. When I got to Hayes and I started playing football. You gotta understand, New York is such a, a a melting pot. Like where Hayes is on the Grand Concourse, you have Harlem, the Washington Heights, the Bronx. Kids from Brooklyn would come over. So we were, I was playing with kids, were from like third world countries. Kids that were from Haiti, they were playing from you know Dominican Republic, whatever. So a lot of these kids from the Caribbean, they only they only paid attention to football because of the Miami Dolphins. That was the only thing that was showing down there for them. <laughs> they had access to. So Dan Marino and 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 OJ and all these guys. Um, they, they, that's all they saw. So when they got to the Bronx and they, when they wanted to play football, they only knew, they only knew baseball, basketball, and, and European football. They didn't know American football. So I was playing with kids, man, who would come up to, who would show up to practice with soccer cleats, <laughs> gold chains. I got them, you know, the old Sammy Sosa mullet, you know what I mean? The slick Jerry curve <laughs> and be holding the helmet like, I'm ready to go today. You know what I mean? Like there was no, and that was just what they knew. So they played with bare bones and that was life for them. So they were extra gritty, extra tough, wasn't afraid of the moment and they got after it. So that was kind of like our makeup. I, was, I wasn't playing with kids that were from the burbs or like who had two moms. I was playing with dudes who like had no problems with dropping out, dropping out out of school because their uncle did construction. So they'll just get a job. Like that was their mindset. Like school was just, well, it gives me something to do. So I grew up kind of just, learning different cultures and how they how they navigated life within themselves and when they got to school. And so football helped me really to just 
be acclimated to different pers perspectives in life. And once I got to uh, Hofstra, um, I didn't know I was going to be a pro to literally my senior year. Uh, my office line coach is the office line coach of uh, James Mattis right now, Damian Rubluski. I was I was having a great year, yada yada yada, and I was bouncing at the tour because I needed to make money. Like once I once I graduated, I need to you know. There's such a time where you, you get kicked off campus, you got to figure out life. Yeah, and so so my coach is like, listen, man, you know you're an all American. You got you got these teams here coming to see you. Um, you need to go find an agent and you got to start taking it seriously. And he was like, why aren't you taking it seriously right now? You, he's like, could you training your ass off? You, you, you know, you got all these accolades. Like, why aren't you taking it seriously? And I was like, coach, man, year after year, there's two or three guys who leave this program, go into training camps and they come back and they're looking for work. Or they're looking to figure out what this, what they're going to do with themselves. I was like, I got a mama living in the Bronx. And by the time my mom lived in the Bronx, my family who have lupus, I can't knock on her door and ask her, you know, my, I need $200 for rent. Yeah. Or I need such and such. I can't, I can't do it. So it was me saying like, if this doesn't work out, I gotta, I gotta, gotta find work. Right. So I was bouncing, I was bouncing in Long Island literally while I was training for the NFL. And my agent was at Joe Linta out of New Haven, Connecticut. Once I, once me and him kind of, you know, joined forces, he was like, if you're going to take this seriously, you, you gotta, you gotta stop bouncing. He's like, you can't report to an NFL team beat up. Like, you know what I mean? Because I was I was throwing guys out of clubs. I was in backyard scraps. I was in, I got two knife fights. He's like, you can't, like, you got to go for physicals. You can't show up to a physical with a knife. Like, that's just, like, you can't do it. Like, it doesn't work like that. You can't yeah. show up to the yeah. Jets or the Steelers and you got to, you know, you got to bandage from here to here because you got poked <laughs> because you're throwing a kid out. You know what I mean? It just, he's like, you got to chill the hell out. And at the time I was living with my quarterback, uh, shout out to Bobby Seck. I was living in his, in his house and I was living in like in an attic and I was paying him $500 rent. By the way, I didn't have a car. And then I thank God I was courting three, I was courting three or two, three or four chicks that kind of got me around. Uh, <laughs> so I was hustling, you know what I mean? I was just trying yeah. to figure it out. And on top of trying to make the lead. And so once he my my, my agent was like, listen, we, we, you're gonna be fine. We're gonna take care, you're gonna figure this out. And I kind of really started training. And once I started training, training with other guys who had uh, you know, trying to get into the league, it, it all started to tick to me. But I, I didn't, my, the league was lasting because I was just like, I, I want to eat. I just want to eat. I just want to eat and make it. I, I want to back up just a bit. Um, so you you come out of high school, your mom has lupus and you're tight with your family. Were you always going to stay home uh, or did you seriously consider going other places? And what were those places? Man, if see, so. You know how we started. I hated school. Yeah. Um, so I remember it was a scout from I think North Carolina had somebody got wind of me. And uh, I think he he went to go look at my uh, my grades and he laughed. He walked out the building, building like this kid is he can't even qualify like just be done with him. And so I was like, all right, whatever. A lot of schools that wanted me wanted me to go the JUCO route and then eventually get myself together and go wherever. Um, that didn't happen. I ended up going to Hoff. I was I was originally going to go to UMass where Coach Mark Whipple was. Um, they had just had a hell of a year. They had a running back by the name of Adrian Morrell who was who's mm -hmm. lights out good. Um, and UMass was really really good. And I, it was a chance for me to get out of New York. Towards the end of my high school career, my mom got really sick. And Hofstra was, had just won the Atlantic 10. This is when the Atlantic 10 really had football. Yeah. And Hofstra had won the Atlantic 10, and they were doing really good things, and they had a lot of guys that were, like, NFL prospects, or at least that's what they tell you when you're mm -hmm. – yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to go to hospital. And because I didn't want to be, if something happened, I didn't want to be far away from my mother. I just, I, I, I know I wouldn't have been right. So that's ultimately why I went to hospital. Wow. And Hofstra hadn't had a football program now in over a decade. How do you feel about yeah, that? Yeah, man, they got they got rid of us. It's sad because there's so much tradition and so many, you know, so many guys that left Hofstra. I mean, think about this. When I was getting recruited to Hofstra, um, Dan Quinn recruited me. The Dan Quinn. Yeah. That's wow. Cloud Boys. Kyle Flood, who's currently the uh, offensive line coach at Texas. Raheem Morris, who's a Hofstra guy. Was actually there. He was he walked me around on my recruiting visit. He he was he was, I I laugh at him every time I run into. Him, I was like, he literally was on my recruiting visit, hot, hitting on my sister. He could not <laughs> stop hitting on my sister. And I was like, Rob, I was like, do you want me to go to school? Or do you want my sister's number? And but he was awesome, right? He was great. And um, and so it, it, Hofstra is so rich with guys who made it into the league and made names and done some amazing things. I was fortunate to kind of be a part of that, but uh. Hofstra just just made sense for me in a lot of different ways. And it's that's got That's got to feel, you know, shit. Uh, we have something called Wildcat Lodge at University of Kentucky was built like a ski lodge. They tore that shit down a few years ago. I'm still upset over it. Yeah. I can't imagine your whole program being gone. Well, right. You know what it was? I went to a guy, rest his soul, Coach Joe Gardy, um, who was the Jets, I think, special teams coach back in the 80s and, and uh, not, yeah, late 80s, whatever. When Joe, when, when I, my junior and my senior year, I knew we had a good team. Like when I got, when I got drafted, we had five guys going to the league out of D1AA wow. program. That's absurd, right? Wow. I knew we had a really good team. But the issue with Hofstra is it's hard to sell football on Long Island on a Saturday afternoon. We're not Alabama, right? Like we're not, we're not that program, but we had the talent. Only people that was in our, in our stands were moms, dad, uncles, and whatever girlfriend you had at the time, right? And so we, there, sometimes our visiting teams would like sell out their side of the stadium. So we just didn't have that, that, type, of, yeah. that, that type of draw. However, I said, listen, if, if, we, if we play on Friday night where the kids are still on campus, they get pregame at the game, get blasted, cheer us on, yeah. and they can walk right down Hempstead Turnpike and load up some more. And that's going to bring everybody to us. It's Friday night in Long Island. Because you understand, Long Island at the time is only Stony Brook, CW Post. On top of that, high school football is really big in Long Island. So we, I just felt like we could have did that a lot better. It never worked. Ultimately, they canceled the program because Hofstra Damn. wanted to go. They wanted to go Ivy League. They wanted a medical school, yeah. medical route. They wanted to build more buildings. And so they ripped the program apart and they gave it all to the, to the nerds. Uh, wow. Left the jocks on the street, pretty much. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Branded Bills. The best place online for premium headwear and apparel. Branded Bills has hundreds of designs available, including our popular state collection, where you can show your pride with hats, shirts, hoodies, and more for all 50 states. Are you a company looking to brand your business? Branded Bills also offers custom apparel options that can meet your brand standards with fast turnaround and shipping. To shop or learn more, visit brandedbills.com today. Do you remember welcome to the NFL moment? Man, yeah, I, I had a couple actually. Going to the Steelers was um was interesting because you know during the draft process, I had visited at least 30 teams. And the one team that I thought hated me um or didn't like me was the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's crazy. And so yeah. I go into and this is this is real talk. I go, I get I land in Pittsburgh, uh it was like a Wednesday. I get to I, I, I see the team on like a Thursday, walk in the building, 
you know, the bills is abundant, uh, buzzing. Everybody's walking around, whatever. Uh, I had a scout kind of shot me around and kind of show me the weight room and all that stuff they do. Like you meet the training staff. And obviously I met Bill Cowher, who was the head coach at the time. And so you kind of meeting all these people. And I walk into Russ Grimm. At, so Russ Grimm is one of the original hogs. He was on Doug Williams mm-hmm. line and won a Super Bowl with the Redskins. Pittsburgh legend, played at the University of Pitt, Hall of Fame or whatever. So anyway, um, I, I, I got this suit on. I don't even know how I got this suit. I got the suit on. <laughs> and, I, and I'm in Russ's office. And he, you know, he's at, he's got the clicker and he's talking to some dude and the guy leaves and I sit down, he goes, sit down, Rook. He goes, how's everything? You know, I was like, oh, you know, coach, you know, just, I'm giving him all the, you know, the best of me type talk about, yeah. you know, I'm God fearing man, love God. And, all that shit. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, he's, he's sitting there like, yeah, 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 whatever. He goes, um, he, he goes, I'm, let's, let's put up your, uh, your, your, um, your combine tape, uh, like your pro day tape. Cause I didn't go to pine. It was my pro day. And he puts it on. It's me running a 40. And then it's me running a drill. And it's me doing like a three cone thing. And he goes, how much do you think I care about this? And so I'm like, uh, I imagine a lot. Like He goes, I don't give a rat's ass about this. I don't even give a shit. All I need to know, can you move a man from A to B? And he's looking at me dead in my eyes. He's like, can you move a man from A to B? I'm like, yeah, I could do that. He says, okay, thank you. Get out of my office. Straight like that. Straight like that. I love Walk it. out the office. Bill Cowher uh-huh. in the hallway. He's like, he's like, come here, son. Let me talk to you. He goes, he goes, all right. Thank you for coming to Pittsburgh. You know, we 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 know a lot about you. We like you, man. And uh, best of luck to you in the future. I go downstairs, have a sandwich, and I'm in a limo back to the airport. That visit took all of 25 minutes. That was my time. I swear to God, that was my time <laughs> in Pittsburgh. I'm on my way to the airport. I'm in the phone in this black town car. My agent Joe Winter calls me. He goes, uh. He goes, hey man, how did it go? You know, because I had to call him. I was like, I was like, you know, you know, how how was the visit? I was like, I think they hate him. I was like, I was there for 25 minutes. I probably talked to every everybody I met, I probably talked to for a minute. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. Just, these things kind of happen like that. I was like, I had been on multiple visits before that. So I knew it was kind of like a recording process. They they kind of yeah. they kind of give you the princess of the ball type feel. Pittsburgh gave me none of that. Pittsburgh was like, all right, hey, good, best of luck to you in life. And I kind of get it because they just had won the Super Bowl prior to that. So they yeah. were kind of like, you know, they, they, they were bigger than life at that point. And so when I got drafted, um, it was surreal because, you know, I was in my sister's house. And this is, I'm going to give you the expedient uh, kind of express uh, story of this. I, the night, so the draft happens, I'm in my in my house in uh, Long Island. And I'm, I'm staying with my buddy, Bobby Sack, who I mentioned, paying $500 rent. Mm-hmm. And literally... When you when going to the draft, they ask for a landline and they ask for a cell phone. So I had gave all the scouts and everybody who needed it the landline and the cell phone. My landline was at so at Bobby's house. My cell phone was on me. I'm watching the day one go, day one guys go, and a couple guys I knew. So I was extremely excited to see that happen. And it just it, it kept going on and on and on. I was like, I want to get out of here. I went over to my sister's house in the Bronx. Go to my sister's house in the Bronx. It's like late. She's like, you okay? I was like, yeah, just like uneasy. I just want to kind of get away from everybody. I just want to chill. Boom. Day two happens. Now, the night before I had plugged in my I had a Motorola razor. Right? I, had a razor. <laughs> I plugged my razor in, had it right here on the nightstand, fell asleep on my sister's hot ass leather couch, knocked out. My sister wakes up. She, she's walking through the living room. She's like, you OK? I'm like, yeah, I get up, turn on my phone. My phone's not working. My cell phone is literally not working. And I'm freaking out where right? I'm pressing it. You know, I'm doing I'm trying to throw it in rice. I'm trying to do everything they tell you to do when your phone's not working. Right. Boom, fast forward, 
The draft is going on. I'm watching the draft. And three of the teams that I really thought I was going to go to was Miami, Buffalo, and potentially Cincinnati. Because uh, I think I forgot the, the, the coach Alexander was an all-line coach, whatever. Anyway, all those teams end up picking an offensive line. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, whatever. Phone miraculously, miraculously turns back on. It's my agent, right? And he goes, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, Joe, I was like, my phone just stopped working. He goes, where are you? I'm like, I'm at my sister's house. He was like, do you understand you gave your landline? So if one phone doesn't work, that's why didn't you give your landline? So I was like, yeah, but I had to get out of here. He's like, so you're not, he goes, let me understand this. It's the day of the draft. You're not home where you said you were going to be. The number you gave the scouts, you're not there. Your cell phone's not working. And this is the day, the biggest day of your life. And the NFL has no access to you. Is that what you're telling me? And I'm just like, Joe, I'm sorry. He goes, the Dallas Cowboys were going to call you. They were, they were, you know, there was going to be some talks. I don't know what was going to come of it, but it looks like there was a chance they may have taken you then. I goes, I, I just couldn't talk. I didn't know what to yeah. say. I was just empty inside. <sighs> Hang up the phone. He goes, stay by your goddamn phone and just, just make sure it's on. I'll call you back. Hang up. Done. I'm mortified, pissed off. I feel like my life is out the window. I, and my sister lived in a hot-ass apartment. And it's, it's so hot in there. And I remember walking to the terrace. I put my phone on the table. My sister's like, don't worry. Don't, you'll be fine. Everything's going to work out. She's trying to keep me calm. And I'm just like, for me, I'm over. I was like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to be ripping cigs, you know, yeah. handing out tickets at the garden. I don't know. And so five, ten minutes pass. My phone rings. My sister runs. She goes, do you know uh, 412? And I'm just like, I don't know what that was. I was like, just, just, just pick it up. She picks it up and he goes, hello, can I talk to Willie? And my sister's like, some guy's on the phone. I'm like, well, who asked who it is? So my sister goes, well, just here, take the phone. So I grab the phone. I'm like, hello. She, so he was like, oh, is this Willie Colon? I'm like, yes. He goes, this, he's a son. This is coach Bill Cow. Do you want to be a Pittsburgh Steelers? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I was like, yes. He goes, right now, we're going to take you to fourth round 131. Look at the screen. And I looked at the screen and it was fourth round 131 out of hostile Willie Colon. Bro, I melted. I cried. I cried. <laughs> Dropped on my knees. I'm like bawling. My brother-in-law's crying. My sister's crying. And he goes, he goes, welcome to Pittsburgh, son. And hangs up. Bro, melt. Melted. Oh. I'm crying. Oh. You know, all these, all these backyard fights I was having. The whole come up finally unraveled, man. And I cried so fucking hard. Because oh. so much of that wasn't just making it. It was like, dog. Well, my dad told me, just keep moving forward. And so I'm getting teared up thinking about it. Uh, uh, but it was, so, too. it was so unreal. And to land at Pittsburgh was just like, it was crazy. But to fast forward, uh, my welcome to the NFL moment was when we checked wow. into, when I checked into Pittsburgh. Um, you know, the rookies, you know, you, you have OTAs, rather. And so I'm in OTAs. And first of all, this is this, this too. It happened all in one day, which is wild. The rookies report. And then the vets report. So when the rookies get in, you kind of have like a day or two to kind of, you know, get checked or whatever. The third day, the vets have been on vacation. Mind you, they had just won a Super Bowl. They had beat yeah. the Seattle Seahawks in Detroit. And so these dudes had either been partying with each other in the offseason or they had been away from each other. Here I am. They always put the rookies in the back left of the room. And Joey Porter walks in. He's like, hey, what's up? You know, he just, they all look like goddamn accident, right? <laughs> yeah. He's backed up. They got Vegas smelling all over him, right? They just, he's <laughs> a cream of the crowd. Hines walks in, Ben walks in. Like, it's, it's just like, I just landed, like, it's just like, yeah. I can't, I'm trying to hold my head, right? 
uh, you know, I'm watching the, the Casey Hampton walks in. These dudes are just strutting. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's like one big varsity bop. And so everybody's hugging each other, laughing, like, man, I saw what you did. And I'm just sitting there like this in a corner. And fast forward, uh, the room is loud. I just remember being really loud. And I'm just kind of like, you know, just taking it all in. And Bill Cowher walked in. And i never forget this feeling. He walked in and the room was like, dead quiet. Like, dead quiet. And I remember he walked in with a bob, big fucking chin. He had the little draw. He looks over this. He goes, looks over the uh, team. He's quiet. Everybody's just like, you know, dogs ready to bite. And he's like, "Men, we're Super Bowl champs. We have a target on our back. Let's go to work." Walks out the room. Everybody's like, "Yeah!" <laughs> I'm like, "This like, <laughs> just like." And there was like offensive line over here, D line over here, D back. And it's like a million. Everybody's like, "To work," and I'm just like. Holy shit. First of all, I didn't even know where Pittsburgh was at. I didn't even yeah. know. I never knew where it was at on the map. Yeah. And so when I'm, I'm there and then we report to the field and we're going through our stuff and I stretch the lines, you go through the motions. And so my coach at the time, Rose Kim, who's an offensive line coach, who I mentioned, he was like, Willie, you're running with the twos. You're going to go right tackle. Boom. I'm sitting there. We're kind of like having this nine on seven. I'm sitting in my stance and I'm looking at our starting fucking championship defense in front of me, like just – Fly. They look like they were all floating on air. I, I came from a D1 AA school. The biggest guy I ever went against was a 255-pound, six-foot kid out of, like, New Hampshire, right? Yeah. I'm sitting there here looking at Clark Haynes, right? And I'm looking yeah. at George Porter across me. I'm looking at goddamn, you know, uh, Troy and, and Ike Taylor and all these guys, James Ferrier and Foot. I'm looking at Casey Hampton. They're the biggest men I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And so, and Keith was there. And so, <laughs> <laughs> I remember saying to myself, like, all right, you're either going to die or you're going to And I remember we had gone through a bunch of protections, and it was called 62 protections, so pretty much slide left. I have most dangerous man. If somebody blitzes in the B-gap, I got to take him. If he doesn't, I stick to the outside linebacker. Fine, got that. Knew my assignment. We're locked in. I'm watching Troy, and Troy didn't let his hair out. He only, Troy only let his hair out on game day, right? So I couldn't really figure it out who he was. I knew who 43 was, but Troy's like, it looks like he's in the sea somewhere floating around. I can see him buzzing around, and I pick up, I pick my head up, and he's literally standing in the B-gap. So I know my rules, all right? Inside threat, you got to take it. If he doesn't go, back outside. Easy assignment. Man, when I tell you, he literally was standing in front of me, locked eyes, turned his back, and started to jog away. So I'm like, oh, he, no threat, back outside. So I, ball hikes, I kicked outside. I hear, Willie, what the fuck? Are you, you're going to get our quarterback cool. What are the rules, Willie? What are your rules? And I'm sitting there like, oh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, he's like, I know the rules. Do you know the rules? You just got our quarterback killed. And I look over, and, and Troy is running up the opposite side, and I, and I somehow lock eyes on him. He goes, and I was just like, Oh my God. On film, it looks more ridiculous. Like I it first yeah. happened in real life was one thing. But on film, he literally turned his back, put his foot down, and on the side of the ball, did a 360 spin and like got around. Damn. And it was just like, this is Jesus Christ in cleats. <laughs> I just met Jesus himself. But I was that was like my that was like wow. this is, you gotta get ready. This is it. All the little, all the little tricks. Yeah. Well, and he just gave me a look like oh yeah. Like, hold hey, on. So. Take that, young fella. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I'm just fascinated. Uh, I love that we're talking football. So your rookie <laughs> year, your rookie year ends up being Bill Cowher's last season 
as yeah. a coach before Mike takes over, Mike Tomlin. Uh, and he has immediate success with, with those two. And Chuck Knoll, the Steelers have three head coaches going back to 1969. What, what kind of stability does that provide uh, for a young guy when you're walking in fresh out of Hofstra? Well, for me, like when Bill, when I had Bill, man, Bill was, I, I think everybody in the locker room knew this was going to be his last year. I think everybody was kind of somber, but also trying to realize like, you know, no matter how we emotionally feel about the situation, we are Super Bowl champs. We got to go out and play. We got to play like such. So I think him from that level really just try to keep everybody on par. Like don't get caught up in whatever, you know, that's, I, it's, I've been here long enough. It's my time to go. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think he still kept that kind of, that edge of having a physical practice, being detailed, no nonsense. And he still kept that kind of that, that mantra of what the Steeler football is all about. Um, and then, you know, I, I didn't play. I only played um, – I played the last two games of that year. Um, it was mm – -hmm. my first thought was against the Baltimore Ravens uh, Christmas weekend. How about that? Wow. Um, yeah, imagine Christmas weekend, your family's coming <laughs> in town, and your first game as a Steeler, I'm looking across Ed Reed, Ray Lewis – Trevor Price, Chris McCallis. I'm just Trevor. It, it was just, it was like you uh, might, it, was, it was like a buzzsaw. Like I was like, Arthur, this is where I die. This is where I leave. This is this bring out the curtain, bring out the, uh, the stretcher now. <laughs> game. And then my next game was against the Cincinnati Bengals, and I played a lot better. And I can remember when Cower. Um, it's funny he because every time I see him, he tells a story. We were in Cincinnati. We're in the red zone, and I think somebody had like gave Ben a late hit or something. And I end up swinging on the guy, right? Like I ended up punching him or doing something ridiculous. And I got a 15-yard penalty. And I can remember um, Kyra going, Willie, Willie, screaming. I can hear him. And so we're in the huddle. Uh, and Ben's like, don't look at him. Don't look at him. I was like, he's calling me. He's like, don't. Just let him. He goes, Will. He goes, get, get Will. Hines, Willie, Willie, get over here. And so I can call timeout. He's like, get over here, 74. And I'm like, so, I'm, you know, I'm puppy walking over to him. And he goes, listen, kid, you got everything I love, everything I want. But if you're going to throw a swing, just don't get fucking caught, all right? He goes, now I'm yelling at you because I have to, because this is what people like to see what I do. I'm really not mad, but just just, just, just don't get caught. Keep kicking ass out. You're playing out of a hell of a game. And he goes, I'm like, he goes, look at me. He goes, shake your head. I'm like, I shake my head. He goes, all right, get the, he goes, get back out there. And he sends me back into the huddle. I get back, <laughs> I get back in the huddle. So Ben is like, you're all right, man. Like, yeah, he's like, he, he's like, he, he motherfucked you didn't. I'm like, yeah. And then I look over the sideline. He goes, he's like, you got it. And I was just like, so that was just that, that was like our moment. And uh, and so when he left, it was sad because I didn't I didn't get to absorb yeah. all you know what I mean? Like all the guys uh, the previous, like the Joey Port, they they got to ride with Kyra. I only had I only had a, a, a snippet. But when I got when I had Mike T, man, I think me and Mike T gravitated towards each other because I was extremely hungry. I had, so to speak, blood in my mouth of what the NFL was about. And I knew, yeah. you know, I wasn't I, I had star. I was at the time I was my buddy Max Starks. I was in a competition battle with him going into that next year. And he knew I wasn't going backwards. Like I just this was it for me. And he told me, honestly, he's like, they like Max. Max is proven. He's, he's a vet. He already has a Super Bowl. I'm giving you one opportunity. One, I don't owe you anything. You don't owe me anything. I'm giving you one opportunity. And that's all I needed to hear. I just I just needed a shot. And him being a William and Mary guy, me being a Hofstra guy, he knew where I came from. He knew what I was all about. Um, and he allowed me to compete for the position. And I ultimately ended up winning it. But one that, thing that Mike always did well, man, 
um, he kept it real 100 at all times, like real, like he never, but he also knew how to give you enough to make you feel like he was loved, but he also gave you enough to recognize where your feet were standing. Like, where were you standing? Like, this is, he, this is a privilege. This isn't like, I don't, you don't have to be here. Like we have enough. People, people, I'm glad you said that people don't understand. I, I mean, a lot of people just think pro coaches, they just roll the ball out there. You know, yeah. baseball managers, they, they're just that the guys are so good. It just couldn't be further from the truth. And, no. uh, you know, I know I did played in different franchises that, you know, where the coach didn't hold every single one accountable, just the oh, same. Yeah. And when that when that happens, it undermines everything. Sure. sure. Everything. If you're not holding Tim Duncan accountable, just like you are the last guy on the Spurs bench. And that's why it worked for them. That's why Jerry Sloan has success. That's why Eric Spolster has success. Mm -hmm. That's why Greg Popovich has success. It's because of the coaches. And I, I, Mike Tomlin, you said it yeah. perfectly, right? What you know what's wild, Rex? I, I tell this story. Um, one thing I think, you know, listen, Mike gets in. He's if he's in front of you talking, he can wow anybody, right? Like he just has yeah. that that magnetism about him. But what I loved about him and talking about the level of accountability. Sometimes, and I know you've been accustomed to this, when you're a head coach with a, with a name or, or some type of position of authority, it's easy for you to sit in your ivory tower and rule, right, and point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and have everybody underneath you do, do things. Um, Mike, literally every day after practice, will walk off the field. And mind you, you know, you've been in the locker room. And you, everybody's taking off tape, laughing. Yo, wait, yo, yeah. you're going to see Deborah tonight? You know, everybody's talking <laughs> that bullshit. Um, Mike would literally, while the, while the locker room is in chaos, he would walk up to each guy like, hey, we cool? Oh, I need this from you. Oh, hey, get your ass together. Like each guy from wow. practice squad to starter, and our locker room was big. He went around and he checked in with every guy because his mantra or his mindset was, whatever you have to say, I'm not going to give you a chance to walk to me and say it. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to give wow. you the chance to say it. So that's going to check your manhood and that's going to check who you're really about. Because you know the old Puff Daddy's no bitch assness. There was no bitch assness. There wasn't because a lot of guys are like, well, I'm going to go up there and say whatever. Or if I'm getting my, all right, he's like, no, no, hold that. I'm going to come to you. So whatever you're whatever you talking about, lack of playing time, lack of money, lack of this, whatever, now it's me and you talking. And I'm going to do it around everybody, so I'm going to see how big your cojones is really. And so he did that every day. Beautiful. And so he never gave you an opportunity to either be to be feel sorry for yourself he just is like, dog, if you got time to say it, here I, here I am, Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the six-time Super Bowl winners Steelers. I'm addressing you. What do you have to say? How's your day? How's your... And sometimes it wasn't always him coming at your neck. Like, sometimes you'd be like, yo, Willie, because I live, for a long time, I lived by myself. It was just me and my brother and two of my best friends. So I had, like, that whole entourage thing going on. Mm -hmm. He was like, hey, like, how's bro? You got, hey, like, so we would kind of have that type of banner. And then sometimes he would check in with a guy. He'd like, hey, man. You're too heavy. You're looking like Southside Security. I don't want to hear about your weight no more. Get your weight down. Or it'd be like another guy, like, hey, I need not, I need you to fake this way, do this. Like, he, every guy he knew what he had to say to, and he, wow. he allowed the guy to say something back. And some guys, I literally watched cower in front of me. Like, guys who'd be in the huddle or be in the lunchroom, you know, fuck that. Mike shit. Yeah. Just like that. <laughs> Mike T. Roll up, I'm like, yeah, you know, you're totally right. I do not do better. You're like, so, you know what I mean? Like, you so – it was so surreal because I saw it every day, and he did it every day. Sometimes he would just stand in the middle of the locker room and just point to the guy. 
Hey, let me talk to you. Oh, look, hey, I had that conversation. So he did it all the time. So guys, you can never said he was, you may have not liked how he went about certain things, but you can never call him phony. You can never say he was, you know, running behind the title of head coach. He walked up to you and had that conversation. He, he did. And I've seen it with my own eyes. Willie, we we could uh, we could do this all day. I want to be sure and get I want to be sure and get this in. Yes, yes. Uh, but before we get to a, a couple wrap ups, your wife has a show right now. Yeah, thanks, brother. So my wife uh, is called Bell Collectors. My wife's from Jackson, Mississippi. Um, it's kind of like if you will, if I had to put it in a you know, it's like Jersey Housewives type situation. Um, it's on own. It airs at Fantastic. Fridays at nine nine p.m. Um, she she plays on the on own on TV. Okay. She's okay. the villain. So if you're looking for the bad guy, that's her. Uh, and which is a <laughs> good thing. I always tell her, I was like, the villain wins. Oh, <laughs> you, can be, you, can, you can be who, you know, you can be who the people like or who the people hate to end up loving. I'll let you choose. And so she's, she's a little bit of venom, but she's a sweetheart. My wife is fearless in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And she's a, uh, she's my rock. And I don't just say that because, you know, I have to as a husband, but uh, she's uh she's, she's dope. And she does a great job of, of you know, really bringing it. Fantastic. Uh, tell me about the Willie Cologne Foundation real quick. Thank you, man. So I obviously it's for uh, uh, it's in honor of my mother. My mother had lupus. She died from lupus two years ago. So um, sorry. It, I appreciate that. And also, you know, me coming from the South Bronx um, on side of bringing awareness to lupus and building money, you know, having money that we can uh, give towards a cure and, and all that. And we also try to give back to the community. So I have a toy drive. I have a back to school drive. I give out turkeys. Fantastic. Um, we try to do as much as I can for the South Bronx and my community. And I have a, I forgot to mention, I have a sports bar, a beer garden rather. It's called uh, Bricks and Hops. It's on 65 Brooklyn Boulevard in my neighborhood. And the reason we did that um, was because I realized that, you know, New York, say what you want, it changes by the minute. And I wanted to be, I wanted to two things. I wanted to make sure that people could go eat wings, have a good time, be, in, be amongst good people, and not feel like they have to go to Manhattan to do so. I wanted to feel, I wanted to make that happen in my own community. And I only hire within my community. So I'm Fantastic. hiring people from the Bronx, um, providing great service and great food in, uh, in the Bronx, in my bars called Bricks and Hops. Uh, it's in the Mount Haven area. You can look it up. Once again, 65 Brooklyn Boulevard coming in. <laughs> Let's meet there. Yeah. Let's meet there. Now I love that I'm in Brooklyn. Just, yeah. just come. Just come. I'll come scoop you. We, we, we go to right. my favorite food spots. We'll do it. Um I mean, it's like you're one of you're my kind of guy. You're like, yeah, I got a foundation. We got we yeah. make sure we <laughs> get some beer. Yeah. Yeah. Beer available to everyone beer. in the That's right. I'm like, okay. Carmelo <laughs> Melo was in my spot the other day because he has a spot was called he? Yeah, he has a spot called Famous Nobodies. It was just literally two doors as his clothing line. Uh, so I know the people that hit Lala's brother and all the people they run it really good people. So he was in my spot the other day having some wings, talking shop. So he's a good dude. Terrific. What's your favorite movie, Willie? Man, you're gonna for for a long time. I, it's, that's a tough question. For a long time, it was um, Tears of the Sun by okay. Bruce Willis. I love that movie. Wow. And, and it was one of my friends. One of my and it was weird. I, I grew to love it, but. Um, there's a there's a part of the movie because they're all they're all like these seals, these hardcore assassin, you know, Delta Force badasses. And there's a scene where they're trying to save this this African uh, refugees and bring them to this camp, and they're getting chased by this militia that's trying to kill them. And Bruce Willis and his boys are really kind of just getting them to this point so they can get to safety and get home. And there's a point in the, um, in the movie where Bruce has to make a decision: Do we continue to save these people 
or do take care of the mission and let's get this doctor they were there to say this doctor get the doctor and get the hell back to the united states and as a group they made a decision like it's time for us to write our sins because they were just so badass dudes at one point who did a lot of bad for whatever reason but that was the mission that's what it called for but they have opportunity they had opportunity to do right one time and to save these people and it is kind of like this mantra of life like sometimes bad yeah. dudes turn good not because they don't have a conscience, because at some point they got to make it right with themselves. They weren't born Fantastic. that way. Maybe that like maybe life made, made them that way. So it was just it was just a deep movie. I I internalized Terrific. it. I love Bruce Willis in it. I love the whole scene. I was a lot of good actors in it. So I love Tears of the Sun. And obviously all you know, Godfathers and all that stuff. Oh yeah, stand up. So love it. Tears now, of the Sun. Uh, if you could sit front row center for any group or speaker or entertainer, dead or alive. Wow. Man, you know, I, I'm, I'm dying to meet Mike, man, Mike Tyson. I'm dying. I know Mike has the hot, hot box, hot box thing, but I, I would love to just have one on one, just talk with no cameras, no nothing, just have a guy to guy conversation. Because I think every time I hear him talk, you know, obviously this man is, is, is deals with a lot on a day to day basis. But mm-hmm. I think there's so much. I think there's so much for a guy as savage as he was. I think his respect for humanity is through the roof. I think he looks at a man. I think he doesn't see color. I think he sees a human being. I just would love to just pick his brain about um, this is perspective about life. And so Mike would be the person if he was doing like you know, a TED talk, if you will. Mm-hmm. I would love to be. I would love to be front and center for that. Fantastic. I got on a, uh, on a south southwest flight from Vegas once, and Mike, Ty- you know, you could just sit anywhere in those flights. Yep. I came down. Oh, so right. go to Vegas a lot. I know. Yeah, he yeah. sat right next to me leaving Vegas, Mike Tyson. I was like, yeah. oh my God. And he was like, I'm the ludicrous. I'm the greatest fighter of all time. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, like, I didn't say a word neither that. I was like, <laughs> I met him at yeah. the SPs, man. I met him at the SPs one time. And I did, let me tell you how crazy it was. I'm backstage at the SPs because when we had won our Super Bowl uh, against Arizona, we got chose to be like team of the year or whatever. So we up for the award. So we're all backstage. And he's sitting there, but he's like facing a window. And so my buddy was like, hey, man, oh, that's Mike Tyson. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I was like, no, no, let's look. He don't look like he fucking with nobody right now. I ain't trying to be the guy. Let's be cool right now. <laughs> and so my boy Coop's like, no, 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 let's go say it. He's like, stop being scared. I'm like, Fah. all right. So I walk up to him and he's he's just sitting there calm. And I'm like, and, I, and I'm like, hey, Mr. Tyson, um, you know, my name is. And so he doesn't move. So I was like, maybe you don't hear me. So I put my hand, I kind of like put my hand on his shoulder. And I no no bullshit you, bro. This man looked, turned, and looked at me slow. And when he locked when he locked eyes with me, it was just it looked like I looked into a shark's eye. It was straight black. <laughs> and I never like not a lot, not a lot of motherfuckers pump fear in my heart besides my dad, right? Like, like when he looked at me and I saw his eyes, my heart was like, and I was just like, huh, my name is Willie Lord. I just I just I couldn't even get it out. He was like, hey, brother, how's everything? Pleasure to meet you. And literally turned back and kept looking straight. And I was just like, I almost died. I almost died over here. <laughs> like, I didn't have to say hello to Mike. Mike clearly wasn't fucking with nobody. Why did I have to go say hello to Mike? But that was my only encounter, and that was just enough for me. So, um, yeah, that's that's it. I, when, when I was playing with the Hornets, uh, Kenny Walker was playing with the Knicks. And uh, a couple times after games in New York, we went out and met Mike out. Oh, wow. As as the heavyweight champ of the world at 88, 89, 90-ish. Sure. You can't – I mean, you can. Just what you described, grown men, 
Yeah. The big man. Yeah. He walks into the club. If you're behind him, everybody is parting. Yeah. You know, it's parting the seas. He was a bad man. <laughs> in my, many my ways. Favorite, one of my favorite pictures of all time. And if I could ever get a frame, I'm going to get a frame. I got to find a spot in here uh, with all this madness on my walls. Um, my favorite picture of him walking through Harlem with no shirt on and some khaki slacks with Naomi Campbell behind him. If that doesn't scream, bad motherfucker, dog, Rex, come on That's now. Right. And, he's young, and he's young, like he's chiseled. No, no motherfucking, no shirt on. He got church slacks on. And motherfucking Naomi, Naomi, young Naomi Campbell wrapped up in a fur coat behind walking the streets of New York. Come on now. That's the baddest. That's one of the baddest pictures. I that's it. Last. That's yeah, it. That's Look it. at that. Look at him. Come on now. Look at his face. I wish him man. Stop. Stop. And then he wasn't he wasn't wearing socks in the ring. Just right. high black high tops. Come just on, man. tight shorts, just that's, ready to go. That's king shit, man. Ugh. That's king type shit. That that's king. Yeah. That's like yeah, I, I wish him in the club. In LA, a couple of times where I just come around and and one time I was just like <laughs> this with him and I was just like God and went off and he, he I'd see him a couple of times it always scared me but the uh, uh, only guy that scared me more when he when I saw him was when Suge came to the club I was like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's go man I got a funny story I know we have got a lot of time I tell oh, you go so, go Pittsburgh, for it. so my left guard Chris Kimwatu we called him Juicy because he looked like the Hawaiian Punch dude. Uh, so, <laughs> so we everybody called him Juice. Juice was awesome. Juice's brother ran a reggae label, um, and they were from my dad. His brother Maki, but they own like a reggae company, like music thing, whatever. And Suge was really tight with him and knew him, whatever. So Suge comes to Pittsburgh, and he comes to one of the games. And Suge corrupt. Um, I don't think Daz was there, but it's 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 done. they're all together. And so they're in after the game. We had one, and they're all in Juice's living room. And we're all talking, laughing, smoking, playing cards. And Suge is sitting there. He's, you know, he's talking, scratching his back. He's like, man, I got to get out of here. I'm going I'm to go, I'm going to go light up and smoke outside. So he's just me and my brother. So me and my brother's like, oh, shit, that's Suge Knight. Suge walks in. My, and my buddy Juice lived on the south side. He had a beautiful place in the south side. And so Suge is on the corner. And I'm going to go. I went outside to smoke a cigar. And my brother's like, well, I'm going to go light up. And I'm like, all right, well, we all go outside. So Sugar's already out there. We walk outside. We walk outside, and it's a blizzard. I mean, it's like coming down, right? Like horns down to snow. And it's like right over street, over street land. And me and my brother, you know, huddled up. I'm smoking. He's smoking. And we stand next to Sugar. Sugar doesn't have a shirt on. He has no shirt on in a blizzard <laughs> with his big-ass diamond earrings. And he's just smoking. And he's, you know, he's looking, looking. And so we get to rapping with him, and he's scratching his back. I'm just like, you all right, man? He goes, man, I just got this motherfucking tattoo done on my back, and it's killing me. It's itching me. He said, this cold weather is making, making me feel better. Somehow, two days or prior to him landing in Pittsburgh, he had this mural done on his back of, like, all type of stuff. And he's sitting there scratching his back, smoking a cigarette. And me and my brother was looking at Suge Knight on, on the south side of Carson Street with Suge Knight. We're all smoking under the, in a blizzard. And I'm like, <laughs> unreal scene in American history, right? Oh my and god! And he goes on to talk about how um, this is. I remember telling you, who's the dude that got who couldn't read that played for the Redskins that got knocked. Yeah, Dexter yeah. Manley or something like that. Yeah, Dexter Manley. Something Dexter like that. I, he he was telling us a story how um, how he, they knew each other mm-hmm. and that Dexter was I guess in trouble some way and he tried to set him up and should knew it. 
and should kind of like call the audible. And he just went down a rabbit hole with this wild ass story. And we told the story for about like two hours. And me and my brother sitting out like they're smoking. And we try to be cool because we next to shit. Now you can't be no bitch next to shit. Right? <laughs> so my brother, like, my brother's not about these. He's like, bro, if I'm cold, I'm leaving, right? So I'm like, you are not leaving me out here. Suge <laughs> <laughs> Knight with no shirt on. And it's like, yeah. he's not leaving me out here. He's just like, all right. So we're just sitting there. Suge talked to us about three hours. Three hours in this blizzard. He has no shirt on. Me and my brother sitting there. I done finished playing the game. I'm exhausted. Drunk too. And my brother's just sitting there like, yo, this story has to end. He, want, he, just, he was just ripping off stories, stories after stories. Until he finished whatever the hell he was smoking, he was just like, "Ah, right, y'all ready to go in?" He was like, "Yo, he was like, yo, no, no, I think we're ready to go in." <laughs> and never saw a shit night after that. Yes, Mister Knight. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you this. I can tell you this, Willie. But uh, you know, it's scary to see him in a club because. You know, stuff pops off, but the worst place to be with Shook Knight is standing on a corner. I be in a party. It was, it was NDC H2O. It was a club. And once again, my boy knew him. So he had came out and party with us. And first of all, this is how you know you got power. This dude was dancing with this girl and shit was standing next to me. We we're talking and we wrapping it up and he's laughing and whatever. He's enjoying himself. And he goes, man, I'm going to go dance with that girl. So I'm like, I should, cool. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do about it? The dude is dancing with this girl. You know, they're getting it on. She goes up behind the girl, wraps his arm around her neck, and he just danced with her like this. And I can see the dude, like, yo, what? Until he recognized who it was, this dude backed up, turned his back, and went, went ahead and got a drink or went to the bathroom. And the girl was like, who? So she turned around and was like, oh, shit, you should night. <sighs> and so they, she gave him a little one, two, two step, and she just darted. Right, and I was just like any other situation. A dude would be like, "Yo, what are you grabbing my you?" Yeah. And David trip. He looked at homie. Homie looked at him, and he was just like, "You got it." She like he was just like, "Boom." We left that club. This is real talk. I put my hand on the Bible. We left this club. It was about twenty of us with Shug, and it was nothing but like a sea of cars and dudes waiting for him. He had like his own security. Yeah. You can tell these were all dudes who weren't licensed. These 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 were all motherfuckers. I was ready for some work. And he was like, y'all want to come? He's like, we gonna go to nuts, but y'all want to ride? And I was like, hell no. I was like, tonight was enough. Like I, but he was cool. I had once again, I had no problems. Shook, Shook was always very nice to me. Very cool. <laughs> Love Leave, it at, you know, Leave it at that. Leave it at that. I know you going through a lot right now. Best of luck to you. But uh, I never had a bad, uh, you know, interaction with him. He was just, it was just always a moment when I was with him. It was always some type of like, I'm gonna put that in the history books. Fantastic. I, I want to ask one more thing. Get your opinion on this and then we'll let you go. Yeah. Yeah. Six games for Deshaun Watson. Yeah. What's your, what are your thoughts? You know, my personal belief is it's layered, right? Because the man had already set out a year, right? They got him his money for that. He went to two jur- jurisdictions, right? Um, juries, excuse me. Um, they let him, he didn't come in. They let him go. Um, the biggest problem I have with the situation, I think it's it's it's, it's apart from Deshaun's situation. Obviously, first of all, obviously the allegations, everything that transpired is egregious. So let me just say that. I have a lot of empathy for the victims or whoever's going through, who's whoever's a part of that. But the fast forward is in the CBA, I think it's Article 46. The players, I, we, mm-hmm. gave Roger Goodell the NFL the permission and then allowed them to be the judge during execution, right? So that's one side of it. The other side of it is that the NFL then, after not agreeing with whatever came from it, 
went out and, and hired this lady, Judge Sue L. Robinson, right, mm-hmm. to do her job. Now, we understand for prior to this coming out, people were getting annoyed with her that she was fine combing this thing, that she was really vetting everything out, that she was reading all the stories. She did her job. This is what she came up with. And Valor, she's saying it's consistent to the other stuff, but the NFL in the, as a whole has been inconsistent with giving out rulings as at all. So my so my issue is if the players gave Roger Goodell and the powers to be the you know the judge during execution, what was the whole point of going to get Judge Sue Robinson? If ultimately you're going to come up with the final decision of how you want to handle Deshaun Watson. So that's my point. So yeah. my thing is the NFL has to now come to grips like we can't get this right. We don't have the personnel, we don't have the people, we don't have the whatever to make the right decisions when it comes to handling our, our players on this type of level. So what right. we need to do is say, just like and this is why I award the uh, award the NBA because they because look at what um uh, old boy from Charlotte's going through with the domestic violence, right? Yeah, yeah. The NBA, siding, the NBA is siding with the courts. Whatever the court says, whatever his whatever it is, we're going to go with it and we're going to move forward. We're only going to handle NBA business because we we don't we don't have that with them. That's what the NFL needs to do. They they can't handle everything. All you handle football, whatever a guy does off the field, leave it to the courts. And what the court says is the rule. And that's, that should be it. So that's, that's my take. Thanks buddy. Willie, I can't thank you enough, man. Bro, let's do this. Man, big fan, let's do this again. I let's do this the again. Part of everything, man. I love oh you. my God. Yeah, Thanks, bro. The rich bands dunking and shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> Willie. That's same, same. Let's do it again. Awesome. Willie Cologne. What a dude. What a guy, Josh. Shy. He's shy, though. Yeah, it doesn't really not perfect. not real. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. You see why he? You know, it's funny. People that have uh, broadcast careers and uh, go into the media afterwards that are huge stars. You get it. But, you know, he wasn't like a super household name, but you see why he fits right in on that opinion uh, radio and and podcast and television. I mean, he he's got the gift to gab for sure. For sure, it makes it. And you see why he's a great teammate. Yeah. You know, uh, come, pro sports locker rooms can be uh, well. It's just a strange existence, <clears throat> and not everybody's wired the same. People don't come in. You have moody guys on the team. Not that guy. That guy comes yeah. in. He's the same every day. Brings the oh. level of consistency every day, just with his personality. That's that's the fun part. You know, because they're dog days, dog days during a, That's a, a great football story. season, basketball season. Yeah. I could talk to him for two more hours, all his stories, anecdotes. Same. Same. Well, buddy, um, want to do it again next week? I sure would. Let's do it. Um, the Rex Chapman Show will be back. That was episode 48. 48 or 49? I don't know. 49. can't remember now. 49. 49. 49 episode. See you next time. The Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy, Josh Hopkins from the Lex Town, powered by basketballnews.com. See ya. <laughs>